Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Online and on DAB Digital Radio, Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. Hello and welcome to the show and what a classic we've got for you today. We're going to be looking back at England's brilliant win over the Kiwis in Wellington and hearing from Owen Morgan. Aussies David Warner making the headlines again. Why is it that when it comes to sledging, it's always the Aussies that bring out the worst in the game? And we've got a treat for you this week as Big Dev, Devon Malcolm, joins us for Test of Time as we look back at 1994 and the visit of South Africa. I didn't even know I was playing until literally about 10 minutes before the, the talk went <laughs> up. And the chairman turned up and he gave us the final say who the final... Um, person going to be an artist to debut playing instead of Tuffner because Tuffner normally have a good record at the Oval anyway. So I literally knew 10 minutes before the talk went up that I was playing in that first match. And in the studio this week, pleased to say former New Zealand all-rounder and current Middlesex player James Franklin joins us. You can't help but think, you know, I'm a young lad from, from Wellington, New Zealand and here I am walking out to bat with one of the biggest icons of, you know, the game we've ever seen and all I could think was, don't run him out. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. And with me, as usual, is Johnny Norman, who's out in New Zealand watching England performing with some guts and determination and style. How are you doing, Johnny? I'm doing really well. I tell you what, Goffy, after four months, I'm finally seeing some competitive cricket. Mm. Uh, and it is, it's just been so refreshing. I mean, you know where I am. I'm based out here in Auckland and um, travelling around and um, bumping into a lot of New Zealand cricket fans. And they're all saying to me, oh, you must be really happy England are doing well. And of course, I am more than happy England are doing well. But the main thing is, of the three matches in this one-day series, two of them have been absolute classics. Um, f- full credit to Kane Williamson, by the way. He should have been man of the match. 
Um, but also credit to so many of that, so many players. Tom Curran towards the end of the uh, the innings. I wasn't sure Owen Morgan fancied him, by the way, but he did the do's. Uh, ben Stokes, we've got to talk about him coming back into things. Rashid, um, Owen Morgan with the bat. I mean, there's been so many top quality performances from England. Uh, a few from New Zealand. They've been a little bit too reliant mm. on their big guns. But good cricket. Good cricket, and that's all you can ask for. Well, it is. People, um, probably in New Zealand, are forgetting, but England did beat Australia 4-1 in the 50-over comp. Um, so we're pretty dominant in that one. So for New Zealand, um, who I think, actually, when you're looking at their side, they've got a few problems. Um, you'll know New Zealand yeah. cricket a bit more than me, but they've got two spinners that are, are pretty decent in one-day cricket, if we're going to be honest. They've got the new ball uh, opening partnership, uh, a Southian bolt. They're pretty solid. Uh, that's the future in New Zealand. Well, not the future, but... At the moment, the next couple of years, but their middle order is all over the place. Yeah. If Guptill and Munro don't get off to a decent start, Taylor's obviously out injured, um, and after Williams, you've got the Chapman, Latham, Nichols, and De Grandhom. For me, those, there's those are not either firing or they're not good enough to be in that New Zealand side. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and the problem is that the, the, the muscle that they've got, they used to have like Jimmy Neesham, Corey Anderson, um, Brendan McCullum, alongside the likes of Guptill um, yeah. and Taylor. Well, Corey's and coming back, isn't he? Corey Anderson's coming back. Well, they from, need him back. Yeah, they need him back. I think he's on his way back. I don't think he's too far away. I don't think we'll see him this series, though. No, his problem is he's had back injuries, mm. um, and that's that's really cost him. Because on his day, I mean, I think he broke the record actually for the fastest. I think for a while he owned the record for the fastest hundred in one day internationals, a few years ago against West Indies, and they miss him. Um, mm. The problem they've got is they're coming up against an England team, which, as you said a couple of weeks ago, that team could play the World Cup now. Yeah, well, it's settled. I mean, that England team. Uh, for me, is, is is super. When you're leaving Alex Sales out of that team, you've you've got a decent batting lineup, haven't you? They've gone with Bairstow. They've given him the opportunity. He played well. He's been one of our best players the last 18 months, two years. So I can see why they've stuck with him. I think Hales is breathing down his neck. Um, unfortunately, he's been slightly out of form. So they've gone with Bairstow. You got Joe Root. We all know what Joe does. He's the um, similar job to uh, Ken Williamson uh, for, for New Zealand. Owen Morgan. He's got to keep chipping in with runs. That's the only worry for me. His captaincy skills, obviously, are, are not there to be shot at. He's um, been a good leader for a while now. But he's the only one, really, you can look at in the batting lineup and think, if we're going to replace anybody, it's probably going to be Morgan. But unfortunately, or fortunately, he's, a, he's, he's doing such a good job as a captain. Stokes coming into it just makes us so much better as well. Bat, ball, field, energy, aggression, everything about him. And then Butler, Ali and Wokes and Rashid. And Curran, who can bat? It's, ridiculous. It's, it's relentless. And uh, England, England, what they're doing in 50 over cricket, they're basically taking 20 over cricket and playing the same way in 50 over cricket. But what they showed at the Westpac Stadium the other day, the caked in, whatever you want to call it, was but they can adapt to the situation and the conditions. Owen Morgan realised he couldn't play like you would normally want to play in a one-day game. And they had to battle because that was a average pitch, a very, very average pitch. And they settled yeah. for a score. They knew around 220 were going to be a good score. And I thought they ended up getting above average, really. 234 was a good score. Tell us um, about what's impressed you about, well, I suppose the way that Wokes has come on over the last few years, but also 
Tom Curran has been given an opportunity here because of injury. Liam Plunkett would probably be playing uh, if he wasn't. David Willey was on the sidelines, actually. Um, tell us a little bit about the difficulty of bowling at the death uh, and what's impressed you about the likes of Curran and also Wokes. Well, bowling at the death is obviously what, what it uh, requires is someone who's got a great desire, a great heart and a strong head. When you're bowling, you're going to get it for six. You're going to get it for four. Um, it's, it's changed from the than when I played. You have to be a little bit smarter uh, now. You still have to execute the skills uh, you're given, the Yorker. I think what you can do more these days, where I used to work on the theory, everybody used to talk about moving it around the crease. I didn't. They miss I it. That was always my theory because the best way to win a game, a one-day game, is by bowling the opposition out. That That's the theory I worked on. When a new batsman comes in, fire it straight at the stumps. When he's in, you might have to be a bit smarter. You might have to bowl wider Yorkers if he's good off his legs, if he's looking to sweep you. And what Tom Curran does well, especially Wokes, I think Wokes is the best at it. Wokes' go-to delivery is the wide Yorker. Yeah. He, he does that really, really... Um, um, he does that really, really well. Now, Tom Curran, his biggest strength is his slower ball. So people back are looking the, back for... Back of the hand. Yeah, his back of the hand slower ball. So what they are looking for, the batsman, is for that change of pace slower ball. And then when he fires the Yorker in, and it's a lot quicker, that makes a massive, massive difference. So both of them have different skills, but they're both doing it really, really well. And it's great. It's great to see. And in T20 stuff, we've got, we've got Jordan who's doing it quite well as well. So we're now in a situation where a couple of years ago, we all were struggling. Ben Stokes was bowling the last over, and we all know what happened there. <laughs> now we've got Wokes, Curran, um, and Jordan, who all can do a job bowling at the death. Um, you picked up on something. Talking about Curran, uh, his brother didn't do too badly today, did he? Oh, tell you what, his brother, um, fantastic, actually. Um, they had a warm-up game. But listen, the, the series, um, England Lions series against West Indies, A, has been an absolute write-off. It's been an embarrassment for English cricket, if you ask me. Um, but it comes to the one-day stuff. They've got a friendly today against the Antigua, I can't remember their name, might be the Mega Master Blasters. Master Blasters. Master, I knew it was Mega something Blasters. like Mega Blasters. <laughs> the Master Blasters. <laughs> well, they didn't blast too well today, let me tell you, because that was an interesting performance. But one player that stood out is Sam Curran. Now, Sam mm. Curran today had an absolutely great game. He smashed 100 um, when England uh, had a bit of a um, collapse, Alex Davis played really well. They got 328 batting first in a 50-over game, which is a good score in Antigua. Um, yeah. Slow pitch. Alex Davis played well, really well up top. Sam Curran came in. He came in about number eight. 119 yeah, he, he got. And then 80 for, 80 for five when he walked in. Well, there you go. Uh, shows a, a bit about the lad. He's still only a young kid. Um, we, we interviewed him, didn't we, not long ago. Fantastic yeah. player. 119. And then um, they were 82 all out. Um, Sam Curran again with a new ball, three for 24. Um, and this <laughs> Thank kid. Thank you very much. Yeah, I said this a while. I think out of all the cricketers that are around in England, he's the one who's probably going to be sneaking into that England side at some point. It's whether he can get in um, before, obviously, a major competition. Uh, have you seen much of him play? Have you seen him live? Yep, I've seen him live. Um, I, saw, I told you, didn't I? I saw him when it was, it was under 17. Oh, actually. he played against him, your kid, didn't he? Under 17. He wasn't under 15. I, I said under 15 when we interviewed him. But uh, after asking my son, it was under 17s. 
Um, and he's exactly the same now. He's just probably a little bit quicker, a slight uh, quicker. He's not rapid, but what he's do, what he does, is he swings the ball. It's going to be interesting now if he can force his way into the T20 side and the 50 other side. And I think the one who will be under pressure is uh, David Willey. Well, it's what you want, I suppose. Uh, David Willey's performed very well. Yeah, he's but a good, good moment, cricketer. Yeah. He is a good cricketer, but he's only bowling six overs. And I'm not sure that England can really uh, can really deal with that because they need someone who can come up back at, at the end and, and bowl those death overs. Uh, plenty to talk about on the show today, Goff. We, we've also got a uh, big studio guest coming on. James Franklin, the former black cap all-rounder, Middlesex uh, uh, captain former, um, is going to be joining us for an hour. Devon Malcolm. This week's test of time, taking us back to that uh, 9 for 57 and all that. Uh, and we're going to be crossing to South Africa because it has all kicked off. In fact, it's kicking off right now. It's uh, the first test has just finished. South Africa losing to Australia. Um, but all the talk really about David Warner, Quinton de Kock and that man again, Nathan Lyon of all people. But uh, we're going to be discussing that and more. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Goffy, in world sport, what what makes you so angry that actually it's not pleasant? Well, it's going to be In any sport. Sledging. Sledging? Sledging. If it's got a bit of fun factor to it, it's a bit clever. Um, I like it. Um, Steve Waugh once said to me, I was a champagne player on a beer budget. <laughs> it's, it's funny, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> I was. That was when I batted. But um, when it gets, uh, when abuse uh, comes in for no reason whatsoever, I just don't get it. What, to put the batsman off? Got it. Does it seriously? Seriously, does it really put a batsman off? It's a load of rubbish. Does it? I don't know. No. Does it? No. Did, did Shane Warne ever get into Daryl Cullinan's head? No, he didn't. He was just too good for him. Certain mm. times, um, certain players can't pick what what he didn't. What Shane Warne was good at, it, 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 that was his personality, right? Bravado, whatever it was. But what Shane Warne kept doing to Daryl Cullinan was bowling non non turning leg spinners, and what, unfortunately, Daryl Cullinan, for a great player he was, <laughs> couldn't pick him. Now he got me out nine times, Shane Warne, with a straight leg spinner. He never got me out with a leggy. I did once when I was part of the Attrick. He was just a straight ball. And Warney was a genius. It had nothing to do with his sledging. He was just a genius. Um, for those of you who, who aren't aware, there's been uh, quite a lot of kerfuffle coming out of uh, South Africa. Australia winning the first Test match um, against South Africa quite comfortably. Uh, their uh, four-man bowling attack continuing to do the do's after uh, Aussies had scored 350. One-man Skittled. bowling attack, you mean? One man? One man, Stark. Stark. Stark's the one. If, well, he don't, if he don't take wickets, they, they real, let's, let's be honest about it, Stark's the main man. He's the one who b- makes the breakthrough more than often than not, and he's the one who cleans up the tail. Now, Nathan Lyon's not bad, bowling in the middle, the spinners. He's having a, an absolutely bumper spell. Uh, but I, let's not go too far. I mean, Stark's the main man, and they've got a good off-spinner. That's as far uh, as I'd go. Well, Cummins is pretty good. He's okay. He's he's okay. Hazelwood's okay. He's just he's he's the Angus Fraser type bowler. Balls runs up. Balls line and length and takes wickets. Of course, yeah. He's he's a bit faster than Fraser. He must be at least fifteen clicks faster than Fraser ever was. 
Oh, I tell you what, people do don't have to get carried away with some of these bowlers. He's Australian. <laughs> he must be quick. Dear me. <laughs> And saying that, I used to love watching Angus Fraser bowl. So I, no, yeah, well, no he was a good bowler. What he did, he was he a good put bowler. The ball um, hit the seam, back of a length, at a decent pace, not rapid, and that's that's what Hazelwood is. He's, he's their bowler. He's, he's reliable. He's a very reliable bowler. He's going to pick up twos and threes more often than not. Uh, but Stacks, your man, who's going to get your sixes and your sevens and your fives and your fours. So is it just us? Um, is it just a media hype in and around sledging? Or actually, is it a bit ridiculous that time and time again, it seems to be the same people getting in trouble for doing it? It looks awful. Um, and but Or is it just something that actually professional cricketers just let it, you know, wash off their backs. It doesn't well, really ma- doesn't make any difference to them. It's not everyone, is it? It's not everyone. It's a certain type. It's a certain type who, um, for some reason, they put whites on and they think they're they think they're Anthony Joshua. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> and 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 you only have you always always have a couple of Aussies in there. Absolutely always have a couple of Aussies in there. Warner is one of the worst in the business. He went quiet for a while, but it seems to have come back. Now he's led Australia in that T20 series. He seems to have got his mojo back. Um, Nathan Lyon, we've seen him come out with some absolute rubbish over the last uh, 12 months in press conferences and on the pitch. You see him, he's always the one who's the loudest. You can see him on the stump mic, uh, see him on the cameras. He's always the first into new players going into the bat. Um, and obviously we've got two to have our own who are pretty solid when it comes to uh, using the mouth. We've got oh, yeah. Jimmy Anderson. Jimmy. Who does and it because he needs to fire himself up. Broad, not as much. Um, but oh, I, I don't know, you know. No, it's Stokes. Stokes is your one. Stokes, when it, when when, uh, when the miss goes, it goes with Stokes. He's, um, it, it, they're just two characters that need it. They need to be on the edge uh, to get the best out of them. Now, we all know Jimmy. If you saw Jimmy walking down the street, you could blow him over. <laughs> but, but like I say, he puts whites on. He turns into, turns into an heavyweight boxer. Um, what is it about the Australians, then? They have always done this. Mental disintegration, Steve Waugh used to call it. <laughs> I call it unedified. I think it is one of the biggest turnoffs in the, our game. We've got Devin Malcolm coming on very shortly. And when he took nine for 57, he pointed back to the dressing room as one of the, the wickets fell. I can't remember which one. It might have been McMillan. I'm not, not 100% sure. Now, he gave the batsman a send-off. I don't have any problem with the bowler giving a batsman a send-off. A battle between one person against another and the bowler wins on your way, Sonny Jim. I don't have a problem with that at all. What I do have a problem with is 11 men or women screaming abuse at one person as they've after, after well, they've bullying, already been defeated. It's well, it bullying. is bullying. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you want to it is bullying, fight. and it looks terrible. It is when, when, when that many of them come in, but they always say, and what NASA tried to bring to England is, but we got sick of getting rolled over by teams that used to come in and do that to ourselves. And so what NASA said is, one go, you all go. If someone comes at one of our players, we all go back as a team. And he brought that to England. He brought that bit of fight back to England, especially against Australia, if we're going to be honest. So it's Mm. good to have a bit of aggression. It's good to have a bit of aggression. But it's got got to be controlled. 
For me, when it starts getting abusive, I just don't think there's any need whatsoever. Like I said, with the stuff I used to do, very, very rarely. I might have lost it once in my whole career, but it was all Who down is? to a little bit of fun here and there. You know what I mean? I mean, I remember just me and Justin Langer had a big who are um, in a warm-up game against West Western Australia. Um and he come back to me and said something pathetic like, you're in my city now. <laughs> I thought, oh, dear me, I better not walk off the pitch then. I mean, it's, that's what it's, you're in my city? Dear me, what's he going to do? Send the mafia around for me. I mean, it, it's pathetic. But that's what sort of stuff, um, like I said, when it, comes, when it gets down, he's, but he just lost it. Uh, and he tried to play a shot of ball at me from then, and I ended up getting him out. And, and so, it, yeah, on that occasion, it worked, and, and I probably went too far on, on, on what I was doing. But overall, it's it's about getting in the batsman's head without being personal. Once you get personal for me, um, you've lost it, not not, not the opposition. You, you've lost it. You should never get personal. Um, we, we've only got a couple of minutes. De- Big Dev is uh, waiting uh, to come on. CPL it's all right. draw this He's used week. To waiting for me to bowl my over. He come on after me. <laughs> hey, not in this, not in this test match that we're going to no, be no, talking he about. He he bowled before you. Ooh. He he opened the bowling, didn't he? Yeah, he um, did. We'll talk about that in a, in a second. CPL draw. Any surprises there? Uh, it's a tournament that always. Uh, uh, lights up. You were there a couple of years ago, actually, thinking about it with uh, old uh, Dodzy um, on the in the drive team, weren't you? I do like the CPL. Um, it's a tournament that's different to any other in the world, purely because it has that huge, huge fun factor. And the owners uh, and the organisers encourage fun. Um, the the teams go on um, uh, the dancing after the games. They go on boat trips and have great fun doing that. The 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 crowd get involved with the singing and the DJs. It's a tournament I really really enjoyed working on and watching. Now the biggest surprise for me is a, the, there is a couple. Shahid Malik, who's been with the Barbados Tridents for years and he's done brilliantly for them, has left. He's gone to Guyana Amazon or Warriors. But the biggest surprise of all is Kieran Pollard. The legend has left mm. Barbados and he's gone to the St. Lucia Stars. But he's not the main card. The main card, the guy who went for the most, was Lendl Simmons. Now, Lendl Simmons got released. I saw that. He got released by um, one of the teams. I think it might have been Guyana. He got released by them. And that means he was a free agent. And he was picked up as the top buy for St. Lucia Stars. So he probably thinks he's won the lottery. Um, but the the team for me, they're going to take some uh, beating, are the Tribago Knight Riders again. Uh, the, obviously, that franchise is going to end up around the world. We're going to see one of their franchises in the UK, I'm sure of it. They've got one in the IPL. They've got one in the CPL. And I'm sure they're going to have one in the UK in 2020. Now, they have got both Bravos, Chris Lynn, Narain and McCullum was fourth mm. by or fifth by in that team. So McCullum's taking a huge pay cut. And they've also got in there Munro from New Zealand. So if they get beat... And he did well would, as well. He's played there the last couple of years, Munro. Yeah, that would be the, the, they would be the team to win for me. Um, I'd be very surprised if they... Uh, they won it last year and I'd be very surprised if they don't do it again. I'm not so sure about 
the St. Lucia Stars. They're a team that really did okay last year, but they normally struggle. St. Kitts and Nevis, it, it just looks strange when Gale is the, the main man there, purely because, obviously, he's the 160000 US dollar buy, and Jamaica want uh, Andre Russell. So he wants to be the main man, and he is at St. Kitts. Andre Russell's obviously back with Jamaica now after his ban. Shade Afridi managed to get another club. Um, Ross Taylor is with Jamaica. Um, but another strong side, I think, the ones to watch who, who should be competing this year is the Barbados Tridents. Guptal, mm. as you know, I rate him very, very highly. Yeah. Um, especially in the CPL, he's got a great record, normally with Guyana Amazon Warriors, but he's gone to Barbados Tridents as the main buy. They've got Shakib Alassane, Ashim Amla, Dwayne Smith, Older, uh, Wahab Riaz, Junaid Khan and Imran Khan. What uh, an attack that is. So uh, they're pretty strong, the Tridents. Darren Goff's Cricket Week live from Barbados has a nice ring to it, don't you think? It does. Um, I, mean, I might have surprised a few there with my uh, knowledge of the CPL, if you mm. want to just let the owners know. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do like that tournament, as, as, as I said. But um, to be fair, mate, I was supposed to do uh, the auction um, for, for them, but I couldn't do it, obviously. Drive time, isn't it? Can't, can't miss drive well, time. exactly. Yeah, Come on, you've got, your, you've got your priorities and your loyalties. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll get a recording sent over to the uh, to the big cheese at the CPL and see what we can do <laughs> for August Day. Uh, you're listening to uh, Darren Goff's Cricket Week in England for now. Uh, coming up on the show, big Devon Malcolm looking back uh, to his, uh, what was at the time, the sixth best bowling figures of all time. Nine for 57 against the South Africans. Uh, you're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Test of time with Darren Goff on Talksport Two. Hey, does this uh, music take you back to uh, your days as a kid growing up in Yorkshire, Goffy? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's it's a Yorkshire type tune, isn't it? Let's be honest about it. Next, we'll have um, the uh, Orvis theme tune on. We will. Oh no, not that again. Um, so it's tested time it's that time of the week my favourite time of the week actually Uh, this year we're going back to 1994 it was great days for me Goffey I was well I was a teenager enjoying life I was telling the producer Sam I love my cricket growing up as you know Uh, none of my mates did it was just me listening to the old transistor radio at the park um, whilst mucking around but I remembered this game like it was yesterday and do you know what I remember you and we'll talk a bit, bit, bit about this later but you and De Freitas remember when you were it was in the third test wasn't it you were knocking the ball around um, and putting on a bit of a partnership I remember listening to just that with bit. my mates just a bit of a partnership <laughs> uh, I'm sure we'll get onto that with Devon um, <laughs> later but 94 is a good will. year for me as well um, uh, it was my debut, test debut against New Zealand. I came in for the one dares and then I did my side. So I missed the first two tests. Story of my career, really. Yeah, um, I was going to say. And I made my debut in the third test against New Zealand at Old Trafford. And then following that was South Africa coming to England mm. for the first time since 1965. And I was just absolutely over the moon um, uh, to be selected uh, for that first test um, at uh, Lords. So it was brilliant. Not for the first time, a uh, visiting team seemed to uh, enjoy playing at Lords a bit more than the home team. Well, you can imagine for South Africa, it was such a massive game to come to Lords. Some of the top players they've had over the years who've not got to play 
um, well, tour with South Africa because of obviously uh, political um, issues and stuff and etc, etc. But they had some good players. Uh, Gary Kirsten, Peter Kirsten, Hansi Kronje, Kapler, Vessels, Dear mm. May, Jonty Rhodes, McMillan, who for me was one yeah. of the hardest players uh, I've ever uh, come up against. Uh, he's fine. a bit underrated, isn't he, oh, McMillan? Not, not he's he's often forgot. No, not but now you, you don't you don't hear him mentioned alongside some of those other big names, but he was one tough cookie. Mate, hands like buckets. Um, <laughs> he used to um, bat and come at you hard and he used to bowl a heavy, heavy delivery. He was as quick as any of them. Let me tell you, McMillan was a proper competitor and I would have him in mind, uh, my team. We call him the truck driver. Um, because he was he built he was massive, wasn't he? He was just built. Um, oh. I mean, you, you, if you ran into him, you bounce off him. He was built for <laughs> rugby. And then they had uh, De Villiers and Donald with a new ball, uh, yeah. which was a fantastic partnership. So we knew it was never going to be an easy series, but we didn't expect them to come out firing like they did at Lords and um, rack up three hundred and fifty-seven. Uh, they racked up in that first innings, and then we we were never in the game, never in the game. We got steamrolled both innings. You did. Uh, 357 South Africa made, and they won it by 356. Well, that's a thrashing, for, isn't it? That, that is a... Uh, yeah, that's one way of putting it. But, Second... Uh, well, saying that, though, uh, four wickets uh, to uh, a D Goff in first innings and four wickets to D Goff in the second innings. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, I'm sure you walked away with, uh, with your chest out. Uh, um, but it's famous, that game, though. You know what it's famous for, don't you? More than anything else. Oh, it's the old uh, Dirt in the Pockets. Yeah, it's Pocket yes. Gate. I was bowling. Of course. Ian Salisbury was bowling at the other end. I was bowling. And others, um, we asked him to keep the uh, the ball dry. Unfortunately, <laughs> he made it a little bit too obvious by sprinkling uh, dirt <laughs> on the ball and putting it in his pocket. So I'll never forget that. He was brilliant in the dressing room. I promise you. They came, he had to take his trousers off and he had to get under them over to the match referee. He had to walk off with his trousers, which were never a, a great sight uh, for Michael Lather and in his underpants. Uh, well, but, no, I can, I can imagine. But it was a proper um, thrashing and made worse by Pocketgate. I tell you what, my because um, this is around the time that England are being accused in the Pakistanis of uh, yeah. being a little bit untoward. So uh, I think it made front page news across Pakistan. Um, our, our guest is waiting for us. So let's just quickly zip through the second test match, um, which was a high scoring affair. That was flat. It was, uh, I remember that. It was, that was a flat pitch. <laughs> Atherton out for 99 in first innings. Uh, Peter Kirsten, what was going to be, I think it was his, it was his last tour. He scored a century in first innings. And uh, Hickey uh, scoring 100. It was a good series for Graham Hick. Well, uh, just but quickly it, on that Peter Kirsten. I hit him on the head in that game and he went off and he come back and he got 100. Absolutely unbelievable. I, 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 I swear down, I hit him flush on the side of the helmet and the helmet flew off. <laughs> and he went down, and I literally, for for about 20 seconds, I thought, oh, no. Because all you're looking for is you want his helmet to roll into the wickets or the bat to go into the wickets, yeah. so I want to get him out. And then I thought, oh, I've hurt him here. And he went off, and he come back, and he got 100. What a knock. Because what a player. What a player, by the way. And this was the end of his career. He was getting on now, Peter Kirsten. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, it was uh, South Africa 1-0 up. One to play, because it was just a three-test series. 
and uh, a certain individual was recalled back into the side and he joins us on the on the phone now for uh, still one of the great uh, bowling displays of all time and pleased to say Devon Malcolm is uh, is with us now thanks for joining us on the show Devon good morning how are you how are you doing, Dev? Gaffy, my all. How are you, pal? Yeah, we good. We good. Dev, just tell us about because in the nineties, you know what it was like, mate. In and out, in and out, shake <laughs> it all about. We were never. It's not like now where you're going to get a good run of five, six, seven, eight games. It was play one. If you didn't get wickets, you were out, and they brought someone else in. Very true, Gaffy. I wish I would play in in these days where you get a little bit of uh, a run, mate. But yeah, it was it was one of those. Um, period of time in the you know in the nineties, uh, as you rightly said, you're in one, next you're out the other game. But even this test match we're going to be talking, this test match we're going to be talking about here uh, at the Oval in '94. To be honest, I didn't even know I was playing until literally about ten minutes before they they went up. That's what how you, you things used to run because you know Athens was there waiting to select the final eleven, and he said, look, the chairman's not arrived yet. Um, he said, Dev. I don't know, the chairman going to have the, the final say to pick the side. And he said, one thing for certain, it's going to be between yourself and Tufnell, who are going to be playing the game. And eventually, you know, and the chairman turned up and um, he gave Arthur the final say, who the final um, person is going to be. And Arthur said, Dave, you play instead of Tufnell, because Tufnell normally have a good record at the Oval anyway. So I literally knew 10 minutes before the toss went up that I was playing in that test match. So that's the way they used to run things those days, and it was terrible. You don't know, you know, um, if you were going to be in, you know, uh, um, the next test match or whatever. So We brought Joey Benjamin in as well. You remember that, Dev? We brought oh, Joey yeah. in for that game. Joey, Joey played that test match. As a matter of fact, I can remember, if my memory serves me right, actually, Goffey, um, Joey bowled well in the first innings. I reckon he took three or four, probably took four wickets in the first innings. And um, I don't know if that's the only test match he played because I remember the following series we went off to uh, Australia were not done with, um, with, with chicken pox, so, uh, like myself. So um, probably that's the only test match he played. But I remember he bowled very well in the, uh, did. In the, in the first innings. As a matter of fact, you used yourself as well. You, you were only a little pop then, to be honest, because probably that was your, what, your fifth test match because you, you made your debut against New Zealand that same summer at Lord, yeah. didn't you? You know something, Dev? For, for me, though, the oval, it never suited my type of bowling. Um, I'm glad that you were called in uh, for this test after we, we were losing 1-0. We were getting a lot of stick in the media. And, and the oval throughout my career was always going to be the hard one for me. Um, you either had to be real express pace, like yourself, um, or you had to be tall and get that bounce, and I had neither. <laughs> so, so, so I knew. Um, I, I mean, Goffey, you were a different type of bowler as you you, you did at Lords. You was a skinny type of bowler. You could get the ball to reverse swing, but you know, Oval is one of those pitches. I absolutely love it. Even in one day cricket, I you know end up taking miles and match there. But Oval pitch it was such a good pitch. It was brilliant for batting because the bounce was so consistent. And as a batsman, if you get in, you can score runs. But the thing, as you rightly said about the Oval. The more you put in, the more you get out. And I was the type of bowler who absolutely murdered that pitch. I hit that pitch really hard. And the harder you hit the pitch, the more bounce, the more pace you will get. And, you know, probably just looking on some of the footage, Goffey, I realized when I was bowling, the, the wicket keeper was probably 30 yards back. And when you served the freighter and Benjamin was bowling, the wicket keeper was literally 10, 10 yards behind the stump. So. Okay, don't rub it in. I'm <laughs> 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 a medium pacer, Goffey. But, you know, it was one of those things, everything clicked that day and you need those um you know i was in real good rhythm and as you, as you rightly said as well i was called back with we one nil done but you can remember that's the first time 
South Africa were back into international cricket since the apartheid days. We were 1-0 down, and the call said we need to win this test match, bring Devon Malcolm in, he's a match winner. So, you know, at times I ask myself, you know, why wasn't that in the, in, from the first place? But that's the way the selectors used to operate those days, you know. So let's look at that uh, first innings. And I'm I'm taking it that South Africa won the toss and decided to bat first. Um, I would say put on so. Three, <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, the yeah. ovals for sure. Uh, they put on 330 for first innings. But uh, as you say, Joey Benjamin um, playing in his only Test match. On his home ground, of course, I used to watch him play at the Oval, yep. uh, took four wickets. Uh, they never really got going South Africa, but actually uh, probably did better than they should have done. McMillan with 90 and Richardson with uh, 58 meant that they yep. went from 136 for five and ended up with a, a decent score, I, I, I'd suggest, of around three, yeah, three, three, two. Yeah, yeah, I made a decent score, but if you look at this as well, um, in the first innings, um, we only had to take uh, uh, nine wickets because a little incident happened uh, in the first innings, actually. Mm. <laughs> uh, where, uh, um, uh, was it Jonty Rhodes? Jonty Rhodes mm. came into bat, and as I said, you know what, the ball, first innings, I bowled pretty quickly, but I wasn't as lucky. I didn't get many wickets. So he misread one of the balls. He took his eye off it. He cracked him at the side of the head, and as Goffey were talking about what happened to, to, uh, to Peter Kirsten at... at um, at Leeds in his second test match against South Africa with himself. What happened, I hit John T. Rhodes on the head. The, you know, the surgeon came out and said, look, Jesus, they sent him off to hospital. So I was aware that, you know, it was a little bit serious, you know. Um, he went off to hospital. And as it happens, um, he didn't <laughs> return to bat, as Kirsten did to make 100, as Goffer was saying, what happened at Leeds, the test match before. But, you know, he, was, he, 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 he didn't make it for the, um, to complete his innings. So um, we only took, we only had to take nine wickets the first innings. So I could claim um, John T. Rhodes as one of my wickets <laughs> in the first innings. But you know, as I said, you know, you bowl well at times. But there's a one thing that happened. I was just listening to the the uh, uh, the highlights program that night, and you know, the great Richard, you know, he used to have a really um, good summary of things. And he said, you, know, you look on that bowling column, look on Devon Malcolm. He only took one wicket, but you know, remember he said. You know, he bowled a lot better than those figures, you know, said. So I was um, kind of fired up as well. But, um, you know, what happened, transpired from there, was that, you know, um, when I uh, hit John T. Rose, obviously, with that bounce, and um, the rest happened in the second innings, to be honest. Uh, well, before that second innings, England had to bat. Um, we'll start with uh, the fact that they, uh, well, Alan Donald, Farney de Villiers taking two early wickets, Atherton and Gooch going. Uh, Hick putting on uh, a bit of a partnership with Thorpe, who uh, top scored actually was 79. Alex Stewart set 62 on his home ground. There's a few Surrey players in there. But England in a bit of trouble. Uh, 219 for six um, when two unlikely saviours came to England's aid. We'll find out exactly who they were. Of course, very true. But, you know, um, so way back then, you know, it's almost 24 years now, I can't believe it. It felt like yesterday, actually. I could go through this ball by ball for you, but we haven't got <laughs> much time. But, yeah, it was one of those things. And the last test match of the series, generally what happens, you know, there will be a tour coming up. And players, you know, especially bowlers, at times, are players just seem to just kind of loosen up a bit. Okay, well, I'm just going to do my thing, really, um, to see if I can get on tour, you know, because you don't know how these selectors work. 
And I remember that evening, um, you know, Goffey and uh, Phil DeFratus went out to bat. And they decide, look, they're just going to play how they see it. You know, they're just going to go and attack the great Arnold Donalds. <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, it came up. Um, and, you know, the freighters and, uh, and, and they said, um, Goffey, they swung that bat. And they were just hitting Donalds and the, their top bowlers, Farnie Divilius, all over the park. And they put on a brilliant partnership. So that's where the momentum started that night, actually. And as I said, um, you know, we're, we're behind. But that partnership between the freighters and um, Goffey, did give us quite a bit of hope that said, look, guys, if we play to the best of our ability and our confidence, you know, we could do something here. So, and, and, you know, that partnership, you know, bring the score up, the first inning score up to parity, I said, pretty close. Yeah. It certainly did. Well, made just over 300 in our first innings, which um, South Africa had a a, a narrow lead um, on first innings, if I can remember rightly. They certainly did. 332 plays 304. We'll find out what happens next on Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Test of time with Darren Goff on TalkSport 2. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. This week's test of time, that famous match at the Oval back in 1994 between South Africa and England. At the halfway stage of the game, South Africa had a slender lead on first innings. But right at the end of England's second innings, um, or first innings, a moment uh, that goes down in folklore was Devon Malcolm, who's our guest this week, hit on the side of the grill by a uh, short, fast ball from Farney de Villiers. And the legend has it that that was the moment that South Africa knew they erred, they'd made a big mistake. And when Devon came out to bowl in South Africa's second innings, it was obvious pretty quickly that it was going to be his day. Ferocious for a first delivery. One of the best opening deliveries of a spell I've seen for some time. And just look how far Devon Malcolm follows through. He's on his way down there. He gets to within two or three paces of Gary Kirsten by the time he's finished. Beautifully directed, quick, very, very hostile. I think Devon means business. Devon, tell us now, really, when you were hit on the grill by Farney de Villiers, did you really say, you guys are history? Um, contrary, contrary to what Goffey probably said to you, Goffey was actually a non-striker, actually, when, uh, when I went into bat. But... You know what? When I went out to bat, I could hear the, uh, the, the South African fielders in the Stip Gordon, um, you know, say to Farney, come on, you know, give him a bouncer. He hit one of our guys. But I think way back in the 90s, there was this unwritten uh, uh, rule between fellow fast bowlers, although Farney de Villiers were probably more put in the category, a very accurate bowler, but more put in the category of a medium pacer. So I said, OK, you know what? This got to be a double bluff. Farney de Villiers won't bowl me off a bowl, a, a, a bouncer first ball. So I'm there, okay, Dev, just keep your, your, your bat swing very low. Farney definitely going to be pitching the ball up, ball the yorker or something like that. That'd be a double bluff. So I'm there waiting. Farney de Villiers ran up, and before I move, I heard a big clunk. Goffey had the non-strikers, and he was there. He ran up to me with the biggest smile on his face, and he said, Dev, that's an absolute perla. He said, Dev, that ball hit you right between the eyes, mate. And I said, Goffey, I know that. He did my helmet fell apart. And I could see all the South African boys in the slips corner just turn away. And I'm, you know, waved my back to the guys, and I said, guys, you shouldn't have done that. If you guys really want to know what fast bowling is about, wait till you guys come out to bat. And I said, you guys are history. And I promise you, you know, um, you know, after that, 
you know, face a couple of balls, I hit a four nicks, I got out. And But, you know, sometimes you say these things are, uh, you know, you just really wanted to show the opposition that you meant business. And when I, once I got out, I absolutely sprinted off the field just to get ready and, you know, said to the guys, look, you will see what it's all about. And, you know, from the very first ball, really, you know, and probably something else happened as well before we went out in the second innings. Because way back then when we played, the oval changing room was a bit different from what it is now. It was two sections. So even though as an England team, half of the teams, you know, the, 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 the changing room was just configured a bit differently. So all the guys, you know, from the other side of the changing room, actors and all that guys, you know, they came across and said, come on, Dev, you know, you know what you said you're going to do to these boys. Come on, let's do it. So I could feel that massive team spirit all around. And, you know, although I was really fired up, my teammates actually will me to do that. But, you know, um, as I said, you want to send signals out. But if ever I bowled a perfect ball, that was that first ball I bowled to, uh, uh, to, to, to Gary Kirsten. The ball pitched exactly where I wanted it to pitch. It fizzed throughout the right place. By the time Kirsten, Gary moved, the ball, you know, just flicked across his nose. Steve Rhodes at the other end, um, our wicket keeper, took the ball way above his head, and the crowd went up, you know. And the atmosphere was just electric. You play all these games, to be honest, from your teammates to supporters. It's all a part of it. And the crowd was just absolutely fantastic. I could just feel the energy from the crowd, really. And, you know, walking back, as I said, my first spell actually was from the pavilion end. And walking back after the first ball and the crowd went up, you know, walking back to my mark, I could look up at the changing room. And with the shot of the crowd, I could see all the South African most of the South African players ran towards the front to look what the, the cheer was about. And I just shook my head and I said, boys, you guys are going to be down here in a hurry, <laughs> you know. And uh, the first spell was pretty good. I reckon I took, um, uh, uh, you know, three wickets. Three wickets for not many runs are probably no runs, actually. Um, three, for, three for one. Well, it was pretty, pretty, pretty solid. From, from someone who was at the other end, like I said, I was there when he batted, and, and whether Devon said, you guys are this, or not, what I did is, but I went. I remember going down to him, I was laughing. You were laughing, but I was, I was laughing because that... You smile as big. I was trying to make you relax, Dev. I always did. Yeah, I know, we had a good relationship. So, yeah, yeah. so I went down and I said, so I can remember saying to you, Dev, whatever you do, don't get out. Because I'm on 42, not out yeah, here. No, you always do. <laughs> <laughs> but he got out. So then we ran off, and in the dressing room, I looked at Dev, and he was just sat there, silent, and I knew he was focused. From from a team, I looked at him, I thought, ooh, um, he's, he's ready to party here. And I, he, as he said, he went out and bowled there, and he just made me look like an off-spinner. And, and, and I, I want too much slower than Dev. A, a few miles an hour here and there. When he, when he ranked it up and really got for it, he, he was up there in the late, late 90s without a doubt. But, but normally, on everyday work, I want too far behind him. But that day, he made me look like an absolute <laughs> under-17 bowler. He was so quick. He was embarrassing, actually, to bowl at the other end. I actually felt like Daffy. I felt as though I was Daffy or Fraser because he was bowling that quick. And it was frightening. And you could see the fear in every South African batsman that came out. And he's right. Dev got in the head that day from that first delivery. They didn't want to be there. Hansi Kronje didn't want to be there. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, very good, very good observation, that Gaffey. But you know what? I eventually take the wicket. I mean, you mentioned Hansi Kronje. I got him with absolute beauty there. But... If you just look on that one ball that I got him back, he played a perfect forward defensive shot, looked back, looked down, 
no gap between his pad and I just said to him, look, man, you're half an hour late there. But it's a ball <laughs> that I bowled to him before because I went around the wicket and I bowled him a couple of perfume ball, what they call it, and he was on his toes, fending him off his nose, you see. And next I ran up, I pitched one up that dragged back in on him. He was a little bit apprehensive. And by the time he got there, you know, and played it perfect, he was in position to play the, the forward defensive, the defensive shot. But, you know, the ball actually it- went through baton pads before the bat, before the bat, the bat, the bat get down, and it was clean ball, and that was absolute, you know, beauty. And um, yeah, I mean, it was one of those things. I was so focused, and I must also say, I remember Alex Stewart as Goffey spotted in the change room. I was so focused. I was just somewhere else, really. I mean, I heard a lot of athletes talk about in the zone or something like that. If there was a zone, probably I was there. And Alex Stewart as well, my teammate. He realized I was possibly somewhere else. And every time I took a wicket, you know, you jump around and you celebrate and all that business. He gave me just a few seconds, and if he just dragged me, he just gave me a, a prod back to your mark, you know. He just didn't want me to lose that focus. So, you know, my teammates did help me through that as well. But I, I specifically remember, you know, after taking wickets after wickets, Alex normally is come and just prod me, get back to your mark, mate, get back to your mark, keep it there, keep it there. And um, it was just an absolutely fantastic day. The crowd was fantastic. You know, the catches were taken. You know, the, the batsman was thrusted, and, you know, probably that's, you know what, probably that's not the quickest of bowls, but obviously... Barbados, yeah. you bowled quick, I remember Barbados. But, Dev, on that, that game, mm. the best one what summed it up for me was South Africa's mentality going into that game and the pace he was bowling was Matthews. He actually walked when he didn't hit it. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. You just, you, you just knocked over the middle order there as well as the top order, and he walked in. And he got runs in the first dig, and he wasn't a bad player, but he actually nicked it, but it wasn't off his, it was off his arm, but he walked. <laughs> if you look at the ball that I got Matthews out with, the ball has started coming in, and I will even pump it up even more, because um, that ball I bowled to Matthews, it was lethal. Mm. I mean, that was going for him for real, and, you know... I thought he nicked it. He did off his glove. But I mean, I mean, Steve Rowe took a magnificent catch as well. But he didn't even look back. He didn't even look back, to be honest, uh, uh, for the umpire's decision. He just went. And, you know, I remember Fanny De Villiers as well. He was at his non-strikers end. And walking back, I was just mumbling my voice to Fanny. I said, mate, you wait till you get to the other end. I said, mate, that's, that'll be the end of you. And he actually said to me, no. He said, it won't happen. You won't bowl to me. It's going to be two. <laughs> there won't be a single <laughs> but as it happens Donald came in and knocked Donald over uh, <laughs> pretty pretty uh, um, quickly after that so I didn't bowl to Farnie Duvillius there but I mean talking about Farnie Duvillius now you know you're out on the pitch and you play against these boys over the years and it's all about you know psychology and all that you psych each other out and if you're having a beer you just speak very superficially but after finished playing my international career, I actually met up with Fanny Villiers for the first time. In that tournament, we normally play in Barbados, Goffey, this um, Clobie tournament. Yeah. And I met him and speak to him as a person for the first time. And he was such a lovely man. I keep saying, Fanny, I really didn't realize you were such a good bloke. Because all these years, I keep saying, mate, if I ever played against you, I'm going to be knocking your head off, for real. But, you know, <laughs> he's a great guy. You know, And um, it's great to see at the end of your career, you play tough and you can... Have a beer with these guys and reminisce and talk about things like that, yeah. 
Well, the day uh, was a memorable one, to say the least. We're talking about it all these years later. But it meant that England, after uh, Malcolm and Goff had combined to bowl at South Africa out for 175, um, was set 205. England was set 205. Now, that's a wobbly kind of score. But England chased them down in 35 overs. Well, it was flat. The pitch was flat, so it was no problem at all. You know what? I mean, I, uh, I mean, a lot of people. Let me just. Uh, sorry about that, Goffy. You go back in there for me a bit. You know, uh, um, yeah, nine for fifty-seven is the best bowling analysis for myself in one innings. But I played way back in nineteen eighty-nine, Goffy, before you, when you were looking pop that uh, in Trinidad, and I actually took uh, probably eleven. I took eleven wickets in that game, and we didn't win the match. The rain came in, and you know the slow over rate and all that business that was in Trinidad. So we didn't win that match. So after I took the nine wickets, you know, walking off the field, um, after the captain then ran up to me and, you know, said, Dev, that's a magnificent performance. And he actually said to me, Dev, you know what? As long as I play cricket, I probably, or watch cricket, I probably won't see one person dominate a game as much as you did. And straight away that game in Trinidad I'm talking about came to my mind. And I said, after you know what, I bowled quickly. I took some wickets in the past. People don't realize that, but it won't mean a thing to me. I said to others, this won't mean one thing to me, mate, unless we get out there, knock those runs off and win the game. And as it happened, those boys went out to bat. You know, Gucci started off pretty well. He made 30-odd. And Athers, he stuck in there, made 60-odd. And, and, and Hickey as well, I remember, made a very good score. He absolutely smashed it. And as Goffey said, he was a great batting track, you know. Well, it was a great uh, batting track, but uh, not uh, great. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. 
In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Enough to stop you taking nine for 57. This week's test of time has been uh, 1994 revisited. Uh, Devon Malcolm, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the show. Uh, just a reminder, TalkSport 2, the place to be every Monday night from 8 for Darren Goff's Cricket Week. Uh, and you can listen to TalkSport 2 on DAB, online and via the TalkSport app. Coming up on the show, uh, studio visits former Black Cap and uh, Middlesex man James Franklin. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Oh, that's a big shot from Franklin. That's all his bar into that shot. Into the stands. James Franklin, a little cameo. But that's not bad either. Bake from Franklin. Big shot in the deep. Where's this? Oh, yes. Half a dozen and 50 for James Franklin. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2 and I'm delighted to say that for the next hour, myself, John Norman and uh, the main man, Darren Goff, we are going to be joined in the studio by James Franklin, former uh, New Zealand uh, cricketer, uh, current Middlesex uh, player, um, started off, of course, at Wellington and uh, with a few clubs in between. Uh, James, thanks for joining us uh, on the show. Um, before we get going, and uh, this is uh, it's always great when we get someone in the studio, we have, of course, got uh, some uh, live cricket uh, to look back upon. Um, and uh, thankfully, after three or four months, we've actually got a close series as well. Uh, your, force, your, your, your thoughts first up on uh, Kane Williamson, uh, unbeaten, century maker, but uh, on the wrong side of a very narrow defeat to England in the third ODI. Yeah, John, very much so. Um, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, yeah, really feel for Kane. He um, he played a great hand uh, in the game at Wellington and unfortunately he just couldn't really get um, any strong partnerships, albeit maybe with Mitch Satner towards the end of the game, but through the middle, uh, the middle order of New Zealand were, were very poor to say the least. So you got to feel for Kane because at half-time you sort of felt that if Kane made a significant contribution that New Zealand would probably win the game and Okay, there was probably a ball or two in it, you know, four or five runs, the difference. But for him to be not out on 115, um, he'll be very disappointed and frustrated that he couldn't quite get New Zealand across the line with a win. I'll tell you what, Frank, you're looking at the, um, this New Zealand um, team, and it's been a close series so far. I think it's been a very entertaining series after England thrashed Australia in the one days. But when I look at this uh, Kiwi side, I've always thought when I played against them back in the day, but they were strong batting all, all the way down. But I look at this current team without Taylor in it, who can hold that middle order together. I feel as though your top three are solid, and then you've got a big gap there. Satin has been the one who's been kind of holding it together at the end, but that middle order's not really firing for you, is it? Uh, spot on, Goffey. I think um, you, you look at the first game, Ross Taylor got 100, 
um, and got us across the line. And then and Kane got a hundred today, and, and we came second. And you know, you'd say that the series has been close, but apart from those two hundreds, it, it probably wouldn't actually be that close at all because the batting um, for the New Zealand side has has been pretty average. I think the bowling's been okay; it's been about par, but the batting has been the big issue. So they've got some some problems to try and rectify going into the last two games and they'll be sweating massively on uh, the fitness of Ross Taylor because they really need his punch along with Kane's to be you know truly competitive. Uh, your career, um, you caught the tail end of Kane Williamson's, you know, he comes across as a very phlegmatic, quiet man. But, you know, when he was standing at the opposite end, he watched five wickets go down for... Let me have a look. 23 runs. Yeah. Is he the kind of captain at the end of that game to go into the dressing room and shout and scream? Is he the kind of captain that will make it clear that what went on out there was unacceptable? Um, or will the, will the players just know and will nothing be said? I think Kane certainly won't shout and scream and, and you know throw his toys out of the cot about it, but he'll certainly make the players aware that they missed an opportunity and you look at the some of the dismissals and, and the way that um they were they were made um they were pretty poor and and not realizing as well that you got a pretty sharp batsman at the other end that all you got to do is get yourself in and, and try and support them and, and take the game game as as deep as you can so you know, he would have been very frustrated seeing those dismissals because it was just a case of, of a couple of guys hanging in with him, forming some partnerships, whether it was 30 or 40 runs, and you pretty much would guarantee yourself a, a win, but that wasn't to be. Do you, when it, on, on the captaincy issue, I mean, when you've played, um, did you play under Flem? Yes, I did, yeah, so quite you a lot. Play, so you played under Flem, you played under uh, McCullum, you yeah. played under Taylor as uh, well? Yeah, Vittori as well. Uh, Vittori? I, Where's the influence come from with captains? Is it is it go back all the way from the Crow era, the Rutherford era, or, or did, has it all changed along the line from probably Flem or McCullum? I, I think Flem was the big game changer. Mm. Um, I think we started to get a bit more respect on the world stage through his leadership and some of the tactics and some of the out-of-the-box thinking because we knew that man for man we... We didn't have the world stars as, you know, the England teams that you played in, the Australian teams, the South African teams, you know, the list goes on. So we had to try and cut it a, a different way, and, and Flem's leadership in that was absolutely instrumental. Um, you know, he really galvanised a group of guys, and we always sweated the one percenters um, and knew that we had to work as a team rather than rely on individuals to win games of cricket. So I think that, f- that flowed down to the next leader, which was Dan Vittori, um, Brendan McCullum was obviously a young player through both those guys' um, captaincy eras, so he started to formulate his own his own style, and then he took it to the next level, which we saw through, I guess, ultimately the pinnacle of his captaincy was that 2015 World Cup leading New Zealand to the to the final, and then you know Kane, being a young impressionable guy under his leadership, um, has probably been influenced by Brendan, but I think Kane's natural style is just a bit mm. more conservative than Brendan's, and. You sort of see that just, you know, and the, the types of players they are. You know, Brendan's a very brash, take the game on, take the game by the, you know, the scruff of the neck and, you know, I'm here, I'm going to I'm gonna stamp my mark on the game. Whereas Kane's sort of a, a slow death. He'll wear you down and, and, and just be a classy player and manipulate the ball around. And I think that's sort of influenced in 
his style of captaincy, you know, he's he's secretly just slowly killing the opposition. And who influenced you on your captaincy then? Because you've captained. Um... Uh, yeah, I think Flem, definitely Flem. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, he was he was brilliant to play under. Uh, a very calm guy, very um, calculating guy, very um, choice with his his words and, and the way he dealt with players. And uh, I think myself and probably Dan, um, you know, probably lent a lot in our leadership. You know, I never got to captain New Zealand, but I've captained a few provincial teams and county teams and what have you. Um, I sort of probably lent on his style more than anything, really. Mm. When you go back... You, go, sorry. When you go back to no, the game, for Frankie, just go back to the game for a, um, mm. for a minute, this New Zealand-England, what I've seen in the series so far, I don't know what you think, and I know you've been working on Sky with it. Mm. When you look at the pictures, I've been surprised because I always remember New Zealand. Yeah, there's never been much pace in it, except possibly Christchurch, I can remember, had a little bit of pace in it um, for a couple of seasons. But I've been surprised how, how much turn and how much the spinners have been an influence in this series. You look at um, New Zealand spinners, you've got Sodi and you've got um, Santner. You look at England, they used Joe Root on Saturday at the weekend, but they've been Rashid and Moin Ali have been fantastic uh, for England. As, is that the way the pictures are going now in New Zealand? Uh, I don't think so. I don't, I'm not sure if it's that intentional, Goffey, to be honest. I, hmm. I mean... You look at the wicket in the game that's you know just been played in Wellington, and the 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 just the visual aesthetic look of it, it looks terrible. And I can never remember wickets in Wellington either at the Basin Reserve or at the stadium. And I know the stadium ones drop in, ever ever looking like that, and and even playing like that, they they're generally um, pretty placid, placid wickets. Sure, they might have a little bit of bounce or a little bit of pace in them, but they're generally very good wickets to bat on and New Zealand's wickets over the last probably five, six years have, have started to favour batsmen more and more. Sure, maybe in test matches they might leave quite a bit of grass on them on the first day so you know, seeing bowlers get something out of it but generally by days three and four of a test match they're just absolute roads to bat on so I don't I don't think it's on purpose. Um, I think maybe the, the next game that's going to be down in Dunedin might be a little bit slow and, and can still help uh, the slower bowlers, but that's sort of been that way um, down there. But all the other venues are traditionally either a little bit of seam movement and, and a little bit of carry in there for the seamers, but generally just good batting wickets. You, you know, a couple of uh, weeks ago here in New Zealand, it was all about whether New Zealand were going to break their record or equal their record. Ten ODI victories in a row. Uh, they've now lost two, the last one uh, by a very narrow uh, margin. But uh, the media in this part of the world does seem to veer from one extreme to the other. Um, <laughs> and it's quite English in a way. You know, mm. when you were winning nine games in a row, it was about the paucity of the opposition. And now you lose two in a row. It's about you're a terrible team. So where are where is this New Zealand team? Uh, I think we'll probably know more in a couple more games. Um, this is the real litmus test for them and... And even in the last few weeks, playing the tri series with with Australia and England, so you know West Indies came out early in the summer, and I mean, let's be honest, West Indies were, were not that great in that series. Um, New Zealand were by far and away the the dominant team, and Pakistan um, came out, and subcontinent teams in recent history have, have had issues playing out in New Zealand. So New Zealand were always favourites to dominate that, probably not as much as they ended up uh, dominating that series, whitewashing Pakistan in the one-day series. So 
I think the last few weeks will be a bit of a wake-up call for New Zealand, a bit of a reality check on, on where they really are. I think the last few games, as I said earlier, they'll be very concerned probably with the, with the batting at the moment, um, apart from Kane and, and Ross. So uh, there's lots to work on. And um, in a couple more games' time, they'll, they'll get a real feel for where they are sort of a year out from, from the World Cup. Um, you're listening to Darren Goss Cricket Week. We're with James Franklin in the studio. And uh, coming up, we're going to be talking a little bit more about New Zealand, playing four rather than uh, watching from the sidelines. Uh, starting out uh, as a cricketer uh, back in 1998 and a journey that has taken in quite a few different teams and countries along the way. You're listening to uh, James Franklin with me, John Norman and Darren Goff. And Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. We're joined in the studio by James Franklin. Uh, James uh, Goffey regales me in the, uh, the tales of uh, playing football as a youngster, and you never know if uh, things have gone a different way. He might not have taken all those wickets for England, but scored a bag full of. Uh, Bag full of goals. Is it the same in New Zealand? Are all cricketers just secretly wanting to be rugby players? Or was uh, cricket always your sport? Yeah, look, obviously rugby's um, the biggest sport in New Zealand, um, much like football here in in the UK. And um, I never actually played rugby. I played one year of it when I was about 11 years of age. And um, it didn't really sit with me that well I, I never really got to be too involved in the game I was playing fullback so I went back to playing football which um, is a game that I've always enjoyed and, and followed closely it's I guess it's my my second passion in sport to, to cricket so I played football right up until the age of 18 and then um, sort of became a full-time professional cricketer if you want to say uh, professional cricketer if you want to say that so always enjoyed playing football. Mm, Jeff Wilson was it Jeff Wilson who was the cricketer and the rugby player? Yeah, yeah. He was a he was a great rugby player, by the way. He was. He, <laughs> yeah, he's one of the um, all-time legend All Blacks. And when he was about nineteen, maybe eighteen, he was a dual international. He he played for New Zealand cricket team, and he also played for the All Blacks. And then he went on to forge a great All Black career for about ten, twelve years. And then he actually came back to cricket uh, around about two thousand and four, two thousand and five, somewhere around there. He um, he got out of professional rugby and sort of reshaped his body again to play cricket, and he and he made a fist of it, and he actually came back and played a few uh, internationals for New Zealand again. So it's unbelievable, that yeah, really. unbelievable. That, but, his story is unbelievable. To do that, to play both, mm. and then go away and be the brilliant legend he was, World Cup winner, and then come back and play cricket again. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's pretty remarkable. And apparently, by all accounts, his his first passion is actually basketball. <laughs> So, so. I don't think he's built for that. I don't think he's. T- I don't think he's the tallest, is he? he m- no, he's not. But apparently, if you go and watch him mess around with a basketball on a basketball court, he's unbelievable. <laughs> well, maybe I'll do that because you know what? He lives in the road next to my mother-in-law, where I'm staying here in New Zealand. Can you go so. get his autograph for me, please? Yeah. Well, he, he, I, 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 he wasn't available today. Otherwise, uh, we would have had him on. Yeah. Well, he he ended up marrying um, the ex-captain of the Silver Ferns netball team. So imagine what their offspring are going to be like. <laughs> Pretty talented, I would say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jeff Wilson aside, um, a debut at 20, 
too early for you? I know there were some injuries in and around the uh, the Black Caps team at the time, but uh, as an experience, uh, was it one that, uh, of course, you appreciated, but do you feel it was a bit early at the time, or was it one that uh, you, you relished and, and enjoyed every minute of it? Yeah, I look back, it was too early. Um, I I went on a an academy tour um, to India in 1990, or maybe 2000, actually, and Sir Richard Hadley was the team manager, um, and I and I did reasonably well on the tour. And he sort of he was a head selector at the time, I think, for the New Zealand cricket team. And I obviously made a bit of an impression with him. And um, that following summer, um, I got picked into to the New Zealand um, team for a test match and and some one day games and what have you. But to be honest, it was it was just too soon. I hadn't really learnt my game um, I was sort of in awe of who I was playing against I was sort of pinching myself at the top of the mark running in against you know Inzamar Mohaka and Saeed Anwar and thinking that this was absolutely bonkers because I wasn't I wasn't the finished article um, and subsequently my performances probably suffered because I didn't truly believe in myself and uh, I actually went back into the first class wilderness uh, about a year and a half later. They gave me a good run to be fair to them because they obviously saw some some potential um, and wanted to see if they could do something with it. But after a year and a half, I went back to domestic cricket and, and spent probably the best part of two or three years just just playing first class cricket, learning learning my trade, learning my art, and I came back a, a more confident player in 2004, which happened to actually be. On a tour here in England, I, I got called into a, uh, a touring team for the third test at Nottingham, um, which we lost, but um, I, I did okay personally, and I sort of managed to sneak on to the one-day part of that tour because we had a few injuries, and, and I did okay in that and managed to stay in the team for a, for a few more years after that. So it was it was far too early for me at 20 years of age. Some some guys it's not, but I, I, I look back in hindsight and think, you know, if I'd just been given a... a a couple more years just to, to breathe and learn my game and learn to ride the wave of, of form and being out of form, I, I would have been better for it starting my international career. Was you always a bowler uh, growing up? Like in those early years when you were out to India on that uh, like development team? and your, your de- Were you picked mainly as a bowler then or were you actually picked as an all-rounder? And I was picked as an all-rounder at, at high school. I was definitely a batsman who bowled, and then, um, with a maturity in my body or, or whatever, I started to put on maybe a, a half yard of pace, and some people started to see a little bit of talent there. And I got my opportunity being sort of a, a, a bowler, a first-change bowler that batted nine, and um, I sort of just went with it and, and consequently really in, in the first part of my career my batting really suffered because you know I, my main job was bowling and you'd prioritise that at training and then when you go out to bat at 9 or 10 you'd sort of have that mentality of being a 9 or 10 so you didn't really give yourself much of a chance so when I dropped back out of international cricket I worked really hard for the next couple of years on, on my on my batsmanship and, and my batting side of my game to really prove that I could do it and I came back a better batsman and I was able to combine both for a period of time but you know now in the, the latter stages of my career it's been more my batting than than my bowling um, that sort of come to the fore so it's sort of done a, a full 
360 or 180 or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> well, he has it. Just, you, mate, I'm really glad you said that because um, I was never, I've, I haven't got the talent as, as you as a batsman uh, at all, but I believed in that as well. When I made my debut for England, I was number eight. I played at number eight. My first 10 tests, I were averaging 34 with a bat. I ended up with an average of 12 mm. uh, because I went from eight suddenly when everybody started developing and we're picking um, bowlers who could bat, which became a thing in uh, cricket, uh, believe it or not. And I actually started dropping down to 10 and 11. Mm. And you're right. You used to go in and think, oh, I'm just, I've got to prepare myself to bowl now. So you just used to go in and, and try to play a shot of ball. And yeah. you normally wouldn't do that. I didn't give myself the time I needed um to get my iron because once I got my iron, I could play all the shots, but I was very vulnerable early doors and I was trying to play all these big shots and I just couldn't get a run. Yeah, and then, uh, Goffey, it's also confidence, you know. You, you, mm. you go in and if you're at nine or ten, you're thinking, oh, you know, no one really rates me. I probably shouldn't really rate myself. Uh, the guy who's running in at me definitely doesn't rate me because he <laughs> sees two bunnies and a fluffy tail. Um, and you sort of play that way, whereas... When you sort of go in at five or six or seven, you have that responsibility as well to have to score runs and you've got the confidence and you've got the confidence from your team to be able to perform that role. So that's where it, um, the mentality of the game is vitally important as well. But saying that, you did score a century at number nine, didn't you? Probably your, your highest, um, well, maybe the pinnacle of your batting career for New Zealand and alongside... The captain that uh, you mentioned before uh, before the break has been perhaps the one that you you looked up to the most, Stephen Fleming. Yeah, I got lucky. I got lucky for a for a couple of sessions at, at Cape Town, and um, uh, yeah, it was brilliant to bat with Flem. You know, to to be that guy who I always sort of looked up to, and, and you know, he's he's become a good mate of mine. Uh, we, I think we put on a couple of hundred runs, and it's, it still stands as a record for the ninth wicket or eighth wicket or whatever it was. Um, it was brilliant, you know. They had a they had a good um, bowling lineup. They had Stain and Antini and Andre Now, and yeah, the wicket was pretty flat. Antini, yeah, he was there. I mean, the wicket was pretty flat. Let's be honest. I think South Africa ended up piling up five hundred as well. We put on five hundred, but um, you know, it's something I look back on fondly. You know, to get a Test match hundred, it's nice. I would have liked more. I should I should probably have scored more. I had plenty of opportunities after that. Uh, to to be able to score hundreds and I, that was a, a a big frustration for me that I didn't really fulfil my my potential as a as a batsman uh, in in world cricket but um, that's just the way it's panned out. Did you ever get a long run within that Test team though? Did you ever get a run where you actually when you talk about confidence there? Because I always believe you see like Jimmy Anderson. When you look at Jimmy Anderson's career, early doors, he was in, he was out, he was in, he was out. Mm. And he never really fulfilled his potential. But then he, suddenly they said, right, he's the future. We're going to stick with him and look at uh, the rewards England have got over the last five, six, seven years because they believed in him. Yeah, I, I played my best cricket for New Zealand under John Bracewell. Um, he was coach of New Zealand between 2004 and 2008. And... He undoubtedly backed me along with Stephen Fleming and he, he obviously saw the potential of what I could offer to the team and um, they were definitely my best years playing for New Zealand. I unfortunately then got a got an injury um, that may well forced me out of the, the game for a year and I came back um, a slightly different player. For whatever reason, I couldn't quite bowl the pace that uh, I knew I could. 
I wanted to and and there was also a new coach um, that had come in a guy called Andy Moles who you you probably know Goffey from yeah, yeah. from county cricket days and I found Moller pretty pretty good he was pretty good to me but then he didn't last long in the job and then we we had a bit of a merry-go-round for a few years with New Zealand coaches and of course when you're having a bit of a merry-go-round with coaches they've got their own ideas on how they want to run the team and, and the different players and I was a I was a fringe player I wasn't you know one of the bankers in the team so I consequently suffered, I guess, from those different coaches and their different philosophies and being kind of a bits and pieces player. You sort of play one position one week and then the next position you're doing a slightly different role and then the next week you weren't in the team and it all got a bit frustrating and I didn't really know my my head from uh, my tail, so to speak. So uh, I sort of got lost and, and, and never really, um, as I said, fulfilled my what I think I could have done really on the world stage and it's a, it, it was frustrating at the time but something I've kind of let go of now Goffey you took a hat trick in test cricket name the players the wickets um, a uh, first one was Ian Ely uh, McGill and Miller not household James? names but they'll do <laughs> James can you name your hat trick victims <laughs> I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was a hot, I know, I know. 2004 against Bangladesh. You become mm. only the second Kiwi to ever take a hat trick, and you have no clue who they were. They've got to have been LBW, haven't they? Uh, no, I can. I think no. I can, no, they were caught. I reckon they were caught second slip, nicked off, and then bowled. Seriously, like I got it all totally wrong. It was Bangladesh, was it? Yeah, it was. It, it was. was yeah. It was back in 2004. Four, I think, and all I know is that it was a hot, sweaty day in Dakar, and um, the ball was uh, not doing too much. And then we got, I think, we got the second new ball, and then you know, started swinging a little bit, and we made some inroads and just had a crazy five minutes. And that's so tell me who they are. To, to be fair, so mate, they were. To be fair, to get an asterisk in Dakar is a good effort. I've played there, and that is flat, and it is hot, and. Um, and they were just, that's when Bangladesh as well for me were just starting to kick off. They had some very, very good players in that, um, at, that part, at that time. Well, they have now. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were starting to make a little bit of an impression mm. on, on world cricket. But, I mean, you still went there with the expectation of, of thrashing them. Um, but you knew that they were a potential banana skin. But um, I think anyone who's taken a hat trick, whether it be you know club cricket or, or first class cricket or international cricket, it, it is actually a bit of a blur. You don't really realise it's happened until well after the fact, where you probably look back and reflect and think, you know, that was mad to to be able to put three balls together and you know you do your bit, but also the batsmen play play their part in it. Um, you know, it's very uh, very much stars have to align. Well, they aligned that day, and there were some other days that, that also aligned, and we'll be talking about some of them coming up. But just to tell you who you took, Mohamed Islam, Mohamed Rafiq, and then Tapash Baisya. So there's your hat trick, and that's what connects you with Goffey as well. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio, Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. James Franklin, alongside myself, John Norman, and of course, the main man, Darren Goff. Uh, James, uh, what's it like walking out to bat in Mumbai, opening the batting with Sachin Tendulkar? 
<laughs> bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. I mean, you know, you you can't help but think, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a young lad from from Wellington, New Zealand, and here I am walking out to bat with one of the biggest icons of you know the game we've ever seen, and all I could think was. Don't run him out. <laughs> we'll definitely don't run him out. <laughs> or else I'm definitely not playing any more games for Mumbai Indians. So, uh, look, it was a real thrill. I mean, I've, I've never heard a roar of a crowd like it walking out to bat with Sachin Tendulkar at Wankhede Stadium in Mumbai. Um, you know, just, just awesome to reflect on the fact that, you know, I got the opportunity to to bat at the other end to the great man and share conversations in the middle with him and, you know, tell him to keep his elbow up and get his shoulder into the ball and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, it, it was really good fun. How did you find uh, the IPL? I mean, it's something I would have loved to have been part of, uh, the Razamataz. It, it, and it has changed the way cricket's gone. Uh, it's been going now, what is it, 12 years, Frankie? And Yeah. But you were in early doors, weren't you? You were in quite early. Yeah, it's, um, it's just an amazing... Um, I guess rock show that's sort of taken you know, the cricket world by storm. Um, you know, since its inception, I think back in 2007, it's just grown from strength to strength, and it is the cricket league that all cricketers want to be part of. So, you know, fortunately, I, I got an opportunity to go there and with Mumbai Indians, which is arguably the biggest franchise in the IPL uh, in 2011, and, and played there for three years. Um, off the back of a, a reasonable tour of India with New Zealand and, and some decent county form um, actually here in England with Gloucester. They sort of told me when they picked me up that they've been monitoring what I've been doing over here because they obviously get a feed of, of the TV coverage from here back out to India. So they were, were sort of aware of what I was able of doing. And um, I really enjoyed my three years there. The first year I was there, we we won the Champions League and it was sort of an, an inaugural trophy for them as a franchise um, and we did it with, with not many superstars in the team a lot of our superstars were, were injured or or doing other stuff or whatever I can't quite remember so we had a, we actually had quite a young team playing that tournament and, and we did really well and won it so three great years, three you know three amazing experiences um, sorry, amazing experiences through those three years with Amazing players, you know, Sachin Tendulkar, Harbhajan Singh, Lasith Malinga, Andrew Simons. You know, the list goes on. You just get to rub shoulders with all these guys that you played against, the legends of the game. Um, you know, playing with them and playing against them. It's just an awesome experience for any cricketer to go and be a part of. Did it improve you as a player, playing in the IPL? Yeah, definitely in terms of being or having to deal with pressure. Um, you know, all of a sudden the... The, the mind frame of playing in a team that you ordinarily play with, you know, you, you do it for just purely wanting to win the game of cricket, whereas franchise cricket, there's a there's a business consequence to it and you're a commodity and there's a, there's a subtle uh, shift in mentality around that environment. So you know that you're dealing with private business owners that expect outcomes and good outcomes or else there are going to be consequences, whereas traditionally cricket teams, you, you, you sure, you, we're all judged by performance and ultimately if you don't perform, you don't play in a team, but you've got a bit more breathing room, whereas it's a, it's a lot more cutthroat, the, the, the business of franchise cricket. Well, you're competing with everybody else in the world for that sport. Everybody wanted to play in the IPL. Every single cricketer, right? Every single cricketer wants to play in the IPL, wants to get that dream, that w- one contract that will turn their life around. And so that's the difference. When you're playing for your... 
your, your club side, you get a year, two years contracts, and as long as you keep it in the right straps, you don't have to do anything overly special. There's mm. going to be no going to take your place, but in the IPL, mm. it's cutthroat. Yeah, and that was that was probably the hardest thing for me to actually personally deal with because. I don't know, like, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm a professional cricketer and I'll, I want to make a living out of it, but there, there was at times I felt over there a real mercenary side to it and being able to really try and create a, a, a good team environment and a, and a good team culture where you got each other's back and all those warm, fuzzy, nice things, <laughs> you just sort of couldn't really get in the IPL because, you know, at the end of the day, it's about money and, and it's about life-changing money for a lot of people, so... Um, it started to wear a little bit thin on me that that side of it. Don't get me wrong, I, like I absolutely enjoyed the the financial remuneration and and nice outcomes from it. But it, it's a very different mindset in that aspect. When you uh, follow cricket, and there's so many different tournaments, uh, so many different uh, formats of the game, and at times it can go past in a bit of a blur. Um, you, you watched it. You know, I've been down here, down under, and within five days of the Ashes finishing, you've got a one-day series starting. And then there's a tri-series. And now all of a sudden, well, we're in New Zealand and there's two tests coming up. And then it'll be the IPL. Then it'll be the county season. Mm. Now, as a player, do you do you find that as well? Does it kind of go in a, bl- in, in a blur? Because, I mean, you tell me the teams or the countries you've been in the past six months or the different tournaments you've played in the past six months yeah um, oh, look it's slowed down a bit for me now because I'm definitely in the twilight of my career but um, that's just the the mind frame you've got to have as a as a professional athlete or, or as a professional cricketer you've got to realise that it's a total commitment it's a lifestyle commitment and you've only got one crack at it and you want to try and make the most of it and you know, here I am sitting talking to you sort of 20 years later after starting my professional career and it's it's crazy to think that 20 years has just gone like that. It's just a blur and uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. But, um, yeah, it goes so fast and everything just gets wrapped into one and you're playing a tour and then all of a sudden you're on to the next part of it and then all of a sudden two years has gone by and, you know, you, you, you're playing in a different part of the world with a different team. So that's just the nature of the beast and you just got to enjoy it as much as you can at the time that you're in it. Frank, yeah, if, if you were starting now, right, and you had it, uh, if we look at uh, Joffre, right, uh, the young mm. lad who played in the BBL, played for Sussex, you'll have seen a bit of him. Yeah. Now, this kid now has got a serious talent. He's obviously very, very good at uh, T- T20 cricket, especially. Uh, I would say he's probably going to be good at one-day cricket. Do you think you would have gone down the route where so many of these guys doing now and thinking, hang on a minute, with the money in the game, I can be fitter for longer and just play one-day cricket because that's the way it's going, isn't it? Now, let's let's just be truthful about it. That's the way the game's going to go. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. It, it, it still comes down to the individual and, and the choice they want to make because at the moment they've still got the choice of playing all three formats. Mm. Um, and test cricket at the moment, um, thankfully, in, in my opinion, is still current enough for these younger guys to, to still aspire to play test cricket. But... I can see it going down the route in 20 years' time, 30 years' time of my children. Um, test cricket will be not that significant to them because 
they won't see it as much on TV. It's not the it's not the commercial product of cricket for them because they see twenty twenty cricket. They see the glitz and glamour of all these leagues around the world, and uh, that's what they aspire to be. So, you know, if I was a young guy now, if I was starting my career today, I'd I'd still hope that I would want to play Test cricket, but I'd also understand that uh, there's um, huge financial gain now in the current market to really specialise in, in short format cricket and you'd probably reach a tipping point earlier in your career to make a decision on, on what route you want to go rather than maybe wait till you're, you're 30 or 32 just mm. to give yourself 10 or 12 years to really have a crack of playing test cricket. That time frame might get shorter and shorter to the point where test cricket might ultimately suffer and be insignificant and that's probably... That's probably something that's really down to the ICC to try and um, foster the, the the longer format of the game and make sure that it's still a big part of the game in years to come. I'll tell you what, slight concern I've got about all this, and we touched on this a couple of weeks ago, is but with these now players, it's all in their box at the minute. They're making all the choices. You've seen the England players, um, Rashid and Hales, Tamal Mills because of fitness uh, worries about playing the longer form, but mainly Hales and Rashid. They already pulled out, uh, said they just want to play one-day cricket, right? Franchise. They've now just failed to get in the CPL. Uh, they didn't get picked up in that one. But what's going to happen, uh, and you, you'll you know this, you're, you're at a county at this moment in time, but the counties are going to say, hang on a minute, the players are making these decisions, why don't we make these decisions? So what we're going to do now is say, we're just going to have players, so if we've got four-day players who are not great at the one-day game, we're going to say, you're just going to get in a four-day contract, you're going to have to take a 10, 20 grand pay cut. And they're going to say, the players who just play one-day stuff, we're on the staff, you're just going to be playing one-day stuff. And it's going to, I don't know how it's going to survive financially because some players are going to say, well, I'm not going to play cricket if I'm just a four-day player because I'm only earning, well, I'm earning peanuts, really, because that's not the, that's not the end game, is it? Yeah, and, and, and that's, that's, that is the other side of it, is that why can't counties do that? Why can't state um, associations do that? If the players are, are having their cake and, and eating it, why, mm. can't, why can't the governing bodies do that as well? So, yeah, we're, we're getting close I think it's probably not in the next couple of years but it's not too far after that where there's going to be maybe a bit of a tipping point that's uh, going to have to be addressed so as I said I think a lot of that sort of probably comes down to the ICC and the responsibility they will have to all formats of the game because you know you look at Australia you look at India you look at England they're, they're the three big nations they're the ones that play the iconic test series outside of that Test cricket is struggling to get crowds. It's it's struggling to get people to watch it. So that, for me, comes back to the protectors of the game, and that's the ICC, to, like it or not, probably make it commercially viable, financially viable for players to actually want to stay and play, te- play Test cricket. Now, uh, people that have watched Test cricket forever and a day will probably say, well, you know, you should want to play Test cricket and, you know, for the love of the game and measure yourself historically against all the great players in the game. Well, that's all nice, but ultimately, guys are professionals. They, they, they're getting thrown big bags of cash now to go off and, and play T20 cricket. So it's got to, in fact, become a commercial reality to the governing bodies that you're going to actually have to pay players more 
outside of probably England, Australia and India to want to play test cricket or else they're simply probably not going to stay in the game. Are you optimistic about the future of cricket? Uh, I am. There's, there's always going to be the game of cricket. It's just going to be, is there going to be three formats or is it going to narrow down in 30 years to be just T20? T10. Uh, what about T10? You, have you played T10? No, I saw it, but I saw it being played out in Dubai, and all I heard was that it was a, again, a great format, um, success, a huge Ooh. success, and and this is the thing, you know, society is moving in a much faster pace. If you rewind twenty years, people had the time to play club cricket, they had the time to sit down on the sofa with a bag of chips and a, and a six-pack of beers and watch a day's cricket, but they just don't have time now. They're running out of time. They don't want to do that, and that's why. T20 cricket commercially sits so well in the in the cricket market because it's three hours long. So you fast forward 30 years, 40 years, time that people have is probably even going to be shorter again. And uh, for, I know, and I mean this in the nicest possible way that you know the current four day crowd that turns up to the county grounds, that turn up to grounds around the world to watch. Um, in 40 years' time, they're possibly going to be in a better place and it's going to be the current generation um, that are going to be the 60-year-olds, the 70-year-olds that are still watching cricket and they're probably going to be wanting to watch T20 cricket because that's what they grew up on. Well, we'll talk about the four-day game very shortly. Middlesex coming up with James Franklin and with myself, John Norman, on Darren Goff's Cricket Week. Online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. James Franklin in the studio with myself, John Norman and Darren Goff. Uh, we were speaking about what it was like walking out onto a field as an opening batsman with Sash and Tendulkar earlier. We discussed making your debut for New Zealand. Um, where does winning the county championship as captain with Middlesex stand alongside all the other um, amazing highs of your career? Yeah, massive highlight. Uh, anytime you're part of a team that wins games and then ultimately wins trophies, um, that's that's what you want. That's, that's the ultimate drive for you to really play the game and, and share those moments with, with your teammates that you know have all made sacrifices together. You've you know, the blood, sweat and tears analogy that, you know, you've all done it together and ultimately you've got some great reward out of it. So to win a county championship um, and I guess to be involved in a leadership aspect of it, you know, Adam Voges was captain for the first part of that season and then he went away and, and played with Australia and I sort of took over the reins. Um, it's very, very special. You know, there was a lot of guys that have been in that club for a, for a long time and, and sort of tried to change the fortunes of the club over the last 10 years. You know, the the, the coaching staff and, and, a, and a number of players. And I guess that was sort of the the icing on the cake after, you know, quite a few years of hard work of trying to change things at, at Middlesex. So it was, it was nice to be part of. I tell you what, I, I remember putting a tweet out there and you responded to it in your <laughs> celebrations because I was disappointed the way it ended. Yeah. I think um, you have to earn it. And I'm not saying Middlesex didn't earn it uh, in, in that last game of the season, but it was all contrived, wasn't it? You were batting. You, nobody knew exactly what was happening and it just looked a little bit odd yeah. uh, for the championship <laughs> to be decided that way. That's all. 
Is this sour grapes from being a Yorkshireman? Goffey, no, or? because we've won it quite a few times, mate. We've, we've won it quite a few times. You get, you get bored of winning it all the time. <laughs> uh, look, um, we, we we were just dealing with what we could, I guess, deal with, and you know, the fact that unfortunately for Somerset they were on the receiving end of it. Um, you know, I guess it was out of their hands and. We were both Yorkshire and Middlesex at that time. We're trying to win a championship, and we knew that the only way that either team had any way of of winning the championship was by trying to to set up a game because the game was, for want of a better term, just petering out. And we both knew that we either of us had to win to ultimately overtake Somerset to win the championship. So, um, you know, Andrew Gale at the time, who was who was captain of Yorkshire, came and, and we nutted out a few. Bits and pieces, of, you know, a few back and forth, and we got to a point where we agreed, and and things played out as they did. And I think, Goffy, anyone that that watched that two hours of cricket, um, as contrived as the the first half an hour of it might have been to, to to set it up, I think everyone would agree that that watched that last couple of hours at Lords, whether it was a neutral, probably anyone apart from being Somerset supporters, probably would have said it was some of the best cricket they've watched in a wee while of county championship. Well, there you go. Another reason why one day cricket's going to take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> so, was that your greatest so moment, though? Was that your greatest moment? Not, not as I mean, to captain a team to win the county championship, it would have been the dream. I would have loved it. I captained Yorkshire. Uh, we, we were close for a while. We were second in second place going into the last three, four games of the season, and we fell off. But was that for you the a, a massive, massive moment? Uh, yeah, I mean, when I turned up to the ground that morning, I thought there was absolutely no hope. And um, I was still keeping my chin up because I was immensely proud of what the guys had achieved through the entire season. But um, look, uh, there was another another thing that happened in my career a few years earlier where I'd, I'd captain a Wellington team and we hadn't won a, ch- uh, a trophy in Wellington for about 10 or 12 years and leading a team to a one-day title in Wellington was a, was a big moment as well. But there's no doubt that, that the county championship uh, and the prestige that it has, mm. not just in England, but I guess globally as a, as a domestic trophy is, is something that I'll cherish. So, fast forward a, a season and it didn't go quite uh, to plan. How do you look back at those two seasons? How do you compartmentalise uh, the dizzying highs followed by relegation the next season. Yeah, what do you, we call it the penthouse to the outhouse, don't we, or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, total contrast. Um, you know, the the year that you win a championship, or if you win any trophy, basically, yeah, you have performance and, and guys play well, but generally you get the rub of the green and, and things just go your way. And last year it was total opposite. Um, nothing we did, we couldn't buy a trick. The weather was against us. Um, Arrowgate was against us. <laughs> I was going to say, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, a few was, other... Was there some bitterness there that the points that you lost on the day uh, for a slow overrate, which subsequently oh. cost you relegation, weren't overturned considering the game was abandoned because of some... Well, you you don't want to go too far, but, you know, someone did fire a crossbow over the wall. Yeah, look, uh, uh, yes. I mean, in a nutshell, yeah. I mean, hugely frustrating. And you could argue, well, you've only got yourselves to mind because you were behind the overrate. And, and, you know, if it had rained all day on the fourth day, you wouldn't have got those overs back. But the fact is that it didn't rain. Well, you'd it see was, clouds coming, wouldn't you? Yeah, it was never going to rain. We all, we all 
anyone who's played first class cricket or watched first class cricket generally knows that position we were in, we would we would have always declared and gone out and bowled for 15 minutes, caught the over eight up and shook hands and, and the game was done. But we had an arrow that got fired into the oval. Um, and I'm Sorry pre- about that. <laughs> an unprecedented moment in cricket that I don't think's ever happened anywhere in, in the professional game and it's probably not likely to ever happen let's again. Hope, let's hope not. Let's um, hope not. I, I disagree with that. I had an arrow head thrown at me uh, in Peshawar in um, Pakistan tour. <laughs> okay. Uh, I which landed about 10 yards away, well, five yards away from here. And I refused to feel that finally. Uh-huh. NASA shouting at me to get back down there. So, And there were only about six people in the ground. That made it worse. <laughs> I stand corrected then, um, but yeah, just 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 frustrating that common sense didn't prevail, and I know that um, the powers that be had to had to take a stance and they stood by it. Um, but but pretty frustrating. I mean, as a as a club, Middlesex have have stood by that position and, and just cracked on. But um, yeah, just things like that. Just just we just didn't didn't get a rub of green at all through last season, and ultimately found ourselves out at Taunton in the last game of the season. Uh, ironically, after the year before, after doing what we did to them, they were doing one on us um, on a turning wicket out there, and, and we couldn't win the game to ultimately stay up. So um, we got our, our just desserts and got relegated, unfortunately. So how'd you come back? What's 2018 hold for James Franklin and Middlesex? Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting year for Middlesex. I think um, the first thing is that as a club, um, the guys and, and the club as a whole can't underestimate how much of a challenge it'll be to to play good cricket and, and get out of Division 2, um, and it's no guarantee. So um, there's new leadership in the club. David Milan's now the club captain. Um, you know, he's had an amazing winter with England, um, and hopefully he'll he'll play a large part in, in England teams in the future coming up, you know, so... He's club captain. I, I think Sam Robson's been appointed vice captain. Um, so you know, there's a there's a new leadership coming in. Um, there's some exciting young players at the club. So there's a lot of enthusiasm and, and just trying to, I guess, uh, wipe the slate clean um, and, and start again. And, and the guys are highly enthused about getting their teeth stuck into 2018. We're fast approaching the end of the show, uh, James. But I suppose in a way. The career is uh, you can you can see the end uh, more clearly than the start. What's uh, what's the immediate plans? What's the long term plans? Uh, as a man with three young kids settling down in London, is that going to be your base from here on in? It is uh, for the foreseeable future. We we um, bought some property here in London um, last year, and we're committed to being here for the next couple of years. We we've enjoyed it here. Our kids have. Um, have have taken to to the UK nicely. In fact, they're probably more English than Kiwi now. So, um, yeah, we, we've really enjoyed being in London. We're hopeful that you know life after cricket can start well here. And um, you know, I'm I'm hopefully going to be involved still in cricket in some sort of capacity in years to come because I, I I thoroughly love the game and enjoy the game. So we'll just see what comes through this year and and whether or not this is my last year of playing. I can't I can't say because I still enjoy waking up in the morning. Um, getting my my tracksuit on and, and going down to the ground to play a game of cricket, I still get excited by that. But um, you know, sometimes father time can catch up with you, and um, that might come sooner than I want. So I'll just see how this year plays out and, and take it from there. 
James Franklin, thanks for joining. It's been a, a candid hour. It's been great to look back at so many different uh, aspects of your career. Uh, and it'll be very enjoyable and exciting to see just what happens next. And uh, hopefully uh, TalkSport and TalkSport 2 might uh, crop up in the uh, in the not-too-distant future for your, uh, for your media work as well. Always available, John. Always available for you. <laughs> good lad, good lad. Uh, Goffey, that's about it for the show. Yeah. Loved it. Enjoyed um, it. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you for the last uh, couple of hours. been absolutely brilliant, as per usual. Uh, we'll be back next week, 8 till 10 on TalkSport 2. But for now, that's about it. You've been listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 